Section 11 of Good Sense. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Good Sense by Paul Henri Thierry, Baron Dolbach. Translator Unknown. Section 11. Parts 110 through 121. 110. Religion, a system to reconcile contradictions by mysteries. Theology might justly be defined the science of contradictions. Every religion is only a system invented to reconcile irreconcilable notions. By the aid of habit and terror, man becomes obstinate in the greatest absurdities, even after they are exposed in the clearest manner. All religions are easily combated, but with difficulty extirpated. Reason avails nothing against custom, which becomes, says the proverb, a second nature. Many persons, in other respects sensible, even after having examined the rotten foundation of their belief, adhere to it in contempt of the most striking arguments. Whenever we complain of religion, its shocking absurdities and impossibilities, we are told that we are not made to understand the truths of religion that reason goes astray and is capable of leading us to perdition, and, moreover, that what is folly in the eyes of man is wisdom in the eyes of God, to whom nothing is impossible. In short, to surmount by a single word the most insurmountable difficulties presented on all sides by theology, they get rid of them by saying these are mysteries. 111. Absurdity of all mysteries invented for the interests of priests. What is a mystery? By examining the thing closely, I soon perceive that a mystery is nothing but a contradiction, a palpable absurdity, a manifest impossibility over which theologians would oblige men humbly to shut their eyes. In a word, a mystery is whatever our spiritual guides cannot explain. It is profitable to the ministers of religion that people understand nothing of what they teach. It is impossible to examine what we do not comprehend. When we do not see, we must suffer ourselves to be led. If religion were clear, priests would find less business. Without mysteries, there can be no religion. Mystery is essential to it. A religion void of mysteries would be a contradiction in terms. The God who serves as the foundation of natural religion, or deism, is himself the greatest of mysteries. 112. Absurdity of all mysteries invented for the interests of priests. Every revealed religion is filled with mysterious dogmas, unintelligible principles, incredible wonders, astonishing recitals which appear to have been invented solely to confound reason. Every religion announces a hidden God whose essence is a mystery. Consequently, the conduct ascribed to him is no less inconceivable than his essence. The deity has never spoken only in an enigmatical and mysterious manner in the various religions which have been founded in different regions of our globe. 
he has everywhere revealed himself only to announce mysteries, that is, to inform mortals that he intended they should believe contradictions, impossibilities, and things to which they were incapable of affixing any clear ideas. The more mysterious and incredible a religion is, the more power it has to please the imagination of men. The darker a religion is, the more it appears divine, that is, conformable to the nature of a hidden being of whom they have no ideas. Ignorance prefers the unknown, the hidden, the fabulous, the marvelous, the incredible, or even the terrible, to what is clear, simple, and true. Truth does not operate upon the imagination in so lively a manner as fiction, which, in other respects, everyone is able to arrange in his own way. The vulgar like to listen to fables. Priests and legislators, by inventing religions and forging mysteries, have served the vulgar people well. They have thereby gained enthusiasts, women, and fools. Beings of this stamp are easily satisfied with things which they are incapable of examining. The love of simplicity and truth is to be found only among the few whose imagination is regulated by study and reflection. The inhabitants of a village are never better pleased with their parson than when he introduces Latin into his sermon. The ignorant always imagine that he who speaks to them of things they do not understand is a learned man. Such is the true principle of the credulity of the people and of the authority of those who pretend to guide nations. 113. Absurdity of all mysteries invented for the interests of priests. To announce mysteries to men is to give and withhold. It is to talk in order not to be understood. He who speaks only obscurely either seeks to amuse himself by the embarrassment which he causes, or finds his interest in not explaining himself too clearly. All secrecy indicates distrust, impotence, and fear. Princes and their ministers make a mystery of their projects, for fear their enemies should discover and render them abortive. Can a good God amuse himself by perplexing his creatures? What interest, then, could he have in commanding his ministers to announce riddles and mysteries? It is said that man, by the weakness of his nature, is totally incapable of understanding the divine dispensations, which can be to him only a series of mysteries. God cannot disclose to him secrets necessarily above his reach. If so, I answer again that man is not made to attend to the divine dispensations, that these dispensations are to him by no means interesting, that he has no need of mysteries which he cannot understand, and consequently that a mysterious religion is no more fit for him than an eloquent discourse is for a flock of sheep. 114. A universal God ought to have revealed a universal religion. The deity has revealed himself with so little uniformity in the different countries of our globe that in point of religion men regard one another with hatred and contempt. 
the partisans of the different sects think each other very ridiculous and foolish. Mysteries, most revered in one religion, are objects of derision to another. God, in revealing himself to mankind, ought at least to have spoken the same language to all, and saved their feeble minds the perplexity of inquiring which religion really emanated from him, or what form of worship is most acceptable in his sight. A universal God ought to have revealed a universal religion. By what fatality, then, are there so many different religions upon earth? Which is really right among the great number of those, each of which exclusively pretends to be the true one? There is great reason to believe that no religion enjoys this advantage. Division and disputes upon opinions are indubitable signs of the uncertainty and obscurity of the principles upon which they build. 115. Religion is unnecessary, as it is unintelligible. If religion were necessary at all, it ought to be intelligible to all. If this religion were the most important concern of men, the goodness of God would seem to demand that it should be to them of all things the most clear, evident, and demonstrative. Is it not then astonishing that this thing so essential to the happiness of mortals is precisely that which they understand least, and about which, for so many ages, their teachers have most disputed? Priests have never agreed upon the manner of understanding the will of a God who has revealed himself. The world may be compared to a public fair, in which are several empirics, each of whom endeavors to attract the passengers by decrying the remedies sold by his brothers. Each shop has its customers, who are persuaded that their quacks possess the only true remedies, and notwithstanding a continual use of them, they perceive not the inefficacy of these remedies, or that they are as infirm as those who run after the quacks of a different shop. Devotion is a disorder of the imagination contracted in infancy. The devout man is a hypochondriac who only augments his malady by the application of remedies. The wise man abstains from them entirely. He pays attention to his diet and, in other respects, leaves nature to her course. 116. All religions are rendered ridiculous by the multitude of creeds. To a man of sense nothing appears more ridiculous than the opinions which the partisans of the different religions with equal folly entertain of each other. A Christian regards the Koran, that is, the divine revelation announced by Mohammed, as nothing but a tissue of impertinent reveries and impostures insulting to the divinity. The Mohammedan, on the other hand, treats the Christian as an idolater and a dog. He sees nothing but absurdities in his religion. He imagined he has a right to subdue the Christian and to force him, sword in hand, to receive the religion of his divine prophet. Finally, he believes that nothing is more impious and unreasonable than to worship a man or to believe in the Trinity. The Protestant Christian, who without scruple worships a man, 
and firmly believes the inconceivable mystery of the Trinity, ridicules the Catholic Christian for believing in the mystery of transubstantiation. He considers him mad, impious, and idolatrous, because he kneels to worship some bread in which he thinks he sees God. Christians of every sect regard, as silly stories, the incarnations of Vishnu, the god of the Indies. They maintain that the only true incarnation is that of Jesus, son of a carpenter. The deist, who calls himself the follower of a religion which he supposes to be that of nature, content with admitting a god, of whom he has no idea, makes a jest of all the mysteries taught by the various religions in the world. 117. Opinion of a Famous Theologian Is there anything more contradictory, impossible, or mysterious than the creation of matter by an immaterial being who, though immutable, operates continual changes in the world? Is anything more incompatible with every notion of common sense than to believe that a supremely good, wise, equitable, and powerful being presides over nature and by himself directs the movements of a world full of folly, misery, crimes, and disorders, which, by a single word, he could have prevented or removed? In fine, whenever we admit a being as contradictory as the god of theology, how can we reject the most improbable fables, astonishing miracles, and profound mysteries? 118. The God of the Deists is not less contradictory. The Deist exclaims, Abstain from worshipping the cruel and capricious God of theology. Mine is a being infinitely wise and good. He is the father of men, the mildest of sovereigns. It is he who fills the universe with his benefits. But do you not see that everything in this world contradicts the good qualities which you ascribe to your God? In the numerous family of this tender father almost all are unhappy. Under the government of this just sovereign, vice is triumphant and virtue is distress. Among those blessings you extol, and which only enthusiasm can see, I behold a multitude of evils against which you obstinately shut your eyes. Forced to acknowledge that your beneficent God, in contradiction with himself, distributes good and evil with the same hand, for his justification you must, like the priest, refer me to the regions of another life. Invent, therefore, another God, for yours is no less contradictory than that of theologians. A good God who does evil, or consents to the commission of evil, a God full of equity, and in whose empire innocence is often oppressed, a perfect God, who produces none but imperfect and miserable works, are not such a God and his conduct as great mysteries as that of the Incarnation? You blush for your fellow citizens, who allow themselves to be persuaded that the God of the universe could change himself into a man and die upon a cross in a corner of Asia. 
the mystery of the incarnation appears to you very absurd. You think nothing more ridiculous than a god who transforms himself into bread and causes himself daily to be eaten in a thousand different places. But are all these mysteries more contradictory to reason than a god, the avenger and rewarder of the actions of men? Is man, according to you, free or not free? In either case, your god, if he has the shadow of equity, can neither punish nor reward him. If man is free, it is God who has made him free. Therefore, God is the primitive cause of all his actions. In punishing him for his faults, he would punish him for having executed what he had given him liberty to do. If man is not free to act otherwise than he does, would not God be most unjust in punishing man for faults which he could not help committing? The minor or secondary absurdities with which all religions abound are to many people truly striking, but they have not the courage to trace the source of these absurdities. They see not that a god full of contradictions, caprices, and inconsistent qualities has only served to disorder men's imaginations and to produce an endless succession of chimeras. 119. Aged belief in a deity does not prove the existence of God. The theologian would shut the mouths of those who deny the existence of God by saying that all men, in all ages and countries, have acknowledged some divinity or other, that every people have believed in an invisible and powerful being who has been the object of their worship and veneration. In short, that there is no nation, however savage, who are not persuaded of the existence of some intelligence superior to human nature. But can an error be changed into truth by the belief of all men? The great philosopher Bale has justly observed that general tradition, or the unanimous consent of mankind, is no criterion of truth. There was a time when all men believed that the sun moved round the earth, but this error was detected. There was a time when nobody believed the existence of the antipodes, and when everyone was persecuted who had temerity enough to maintain it. At present every informed man firmly believes it. All nations, with the exception of a few men who are less credulous than the rest, still believe in ghosts and spirits. No sensible man now adopts such nonsense. But the most sensible people consider it their duty to believe in a universal spirit. 120. All gods are savage, all religions are monuments of ignorance. All the gods adored by men are of savage origin. They have evidently been imagined by stupid people, or presented by ambitious and crafty legislators, to ignorant and uncivilized nations who had neither capacity nor courage to examine the objects which, through terror, they were made to worship. By closely examining God, we are forced to acknowledge that he evidently bears marks of a savage nature. To be savage is to acknowledge no right but force, 
it is to be cruel beyond measure, to follow only one's own caprice, to want foresight, prudence, and reason. Ye nations who call yourselves civilized, do you not discern, in this hideous character, the God on whom you lavish your incense? Are not the descriptions given you of the divinity visibly borrowed from the implacable, jealous, revengeful, sanguinary, capricious, inconsiderate humor of man who has not cultivated his reason? Oh, men, you adore only a great savage, whom you regard, however, as a model to imitate, as an amiable master, as a sovereign full of perfection. Religious opinions are ancient monuments of ignorance, credulity, cowardice, and barbarism of their ancestors. Every savage is a child fond of the marvelous, who believes everything and examines nothing. Ignorance of nature he attributes to spirits, enchantments, and to magic, whatever appears to him extraordinary. His priests appear to him sorcerers, in whom he supposes a power purely divine, before whom his confounded reason humbled itself, whose oracles are to him infallible decrees which it would be dangerous to contradict. In religion, men have, for the most part, remained in their primitive barbarity. Modern religions are only ancient follies revived, or presented under some new form. If the savages of antiquity adored mountains, rivers, serpents, trees, and idols of every kind, if the Egyptians paid homage to crocodiles, rats, and onions, do we not see nations who think themselves wiser than they worship bread into which they imagine that through the enchantments of their priests the divinity has descended? Is not the bread god the idol of many Christian nations, who, in this respect, are as irrational as the most savage? 121. All religious usages bear marks of stupidity and barbarism. The ferocity, stupidity, and folly of uncivilized man have never disclosed themselves in religious practices, either cruel or extravagant. A spirit of barbarity still survives and penetrates the religions even of the most polished nations. Do we not still see human victims offered to the divinity? To appease the anger of a god who is always supposed as ferocious, jealous, and vindictive, as a savage, do not those whose manner of thinking is supposed to displease him expire under studied torments? by the command of sanguinary laws? Modern nations, at the instigation of their priests, have perhaps improved upon the atrocious folly of barbarous nations. At least we find that it has ever entered the heads of savages to torment for opinions, to search the thoughts, to molest men for the invisible movements of their brains. When we see learned nations, such as the English, French, German, etc., continue, notwithstanding their knowledge, to kneel before the barbarous God of the Jews, when we see these enlightened nations divide into sects, defame, 
hate, and despise one another for their equally ridiculous opinions concerning the conduct and intentions of this unreasonable God, when we see men of ability foolishly devote their time to meditate the will of this God, who is full of caprice and folly, we are tempted to cry out, O oh, men, you are still savage. End of section 11. Recording by Roger Moline.